The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, Dr. Kathy Greenberg is with us and be uh, on the line in just a moment. And, you know, between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders to perform in the top 10%. And we've been doing our show, you know, now for about six years, and we always get great folks to interview. And today we're going to uh, talk about the power of 12 and Bill Gladstone, or William Gladstone, we'll call him Bill, is a literary agent and founder of Waterside Productions. Gladstone works with some of the most influential authors that we've all heard about, including Eckhart Tolle, Neil uh, Donald Walsh, and he's a pioneer in one of the most revered names in publishing. So he's going to talk about what his new book is, The Power of Twelve. It's part science fiction, part uh, philosophical exploration. The Power of Twelve discovers the true heart of mankind, the very nature of our existence, and teaches uh, readers how to prepare for a world that is rapidly changing. We're delighted to have the business maven, Bill Gladstone, on our show. He's a pioneer in e-publishing, an international expert on indigenous cultures, who partnered on Rod Serling's TV event, in Search of Ancient Mysteries, and co-produced the highly acclaimed film, Tapping the Source. So this will be an interesting show. I'm sure you're wondering what the power of 12 is. And let me uh, bring on Dr. Kathy Greenberg. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Relly. How are you? I'm very excited today to have Bill on the show. As you know, Bill is he's my publisher, and um, hopefully uh, we'll talk a little bit about Fearless Leaders in another show, but um, today I'm very excited to have Bill with us. Before we bring Bill on, I just want to remind our audience a little bit about um, who we are and why we do the show, and to also make sure that you know that um, we are just so blessed, you know, with having Thanksgiving just passed, to, uh, to have a great, great audience. And we are now... Um, for those of you who don't know it, we are now in 27 countries, in 126 cities, and we get as many as 95,000 downloads per month. So we certainly know many of you who are listening to us are, are, are big fans and come back over and over again, and we want to thank you for that. I also want you to know a little bit more about my co-author, my dear friend, Relly Nadler, um, and, you know... Just to make sure that um, you don't miss any of the details, I might ask Relly to talk a little bit about why we do this, this show on leaders and why it's so important to us. But first, Dr. Relly Nadler 
is a master level certified executive coach. He's a psychologist and a corporate leadership and team trainer. And Dr. Nadler brings his legendary expertise in emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and development programs. And of course, Relly's newest top-ranked book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, provides hundreds of tools and strategies to develop star performers across all industries. So please remember to visit him at truenorthleadership.com for free downloads to access your best performance. And make sure you also get a free copy of his iApp Leadership Keys, which is available at the iTunes Store. And you know what, Relly? Um, maybe you could just talk a little bit about um, why we do this show sure. and, and why it's so important. Okay. Let me say a little bit about that, and then I'll say a, a word about uh, you, my esteemed co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg. Um, for folks that don't know uh, Kathy, she has been named the first lady of happiness. She's authored multiple books on the science of happiness, what happy companies know, what happy working mothers know. She touches millions of lives as an in-demand speaker, TV, radio, and media personality. She's just about ready to launch Fearless uh, Leaders, and we're going to have a, a special show do, uh, dedicated specifically for that so you can hear more about that. Kathy has a free app called Your Happiness Now, where you can see Kathy's uh, gleaming face there and, and hear um, some of the tips and tools that she has. The Fearless Leaders, you know, How to Sharpen Your Focus will be out in 2014, and fearlessleaders.com is a website that you can look at to get more information. Also, Kathy and I share a website, excelinstitute.com, where you can also get more information. So, Kathy, a couple things, then we'll bring on Bill. You know, about 40% of organizations say they do not have enough leaders um, to move into the future. And so one of the areas that we want to focus on is how do you get some tips, tools to bring people into the top 10%. And so all the things that we're doing here, if you can apply one or two things, we call these micro-initiatives that may help you move into the top 10%, may help some of the people that you uh, supervise or direct to get in the top 10%. And when you look at emotional intelligence, IQ, techno expertise, a lot of what we're talking about with fearless leaders and with emotional intelligence, these competencies are the catalyst that's going to help someone move forward. So, Kathy, you want to tell us a little bit more about Bill, and then we'll, we'll ask him some of the questions about the power of 12. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a nugget here for all of us in this conversation with Bill today on many levels. And I think this whole humanitarian mindset, dealing with chaos, um, emotional intelligence, the science of happiness, um, sharpening your focus using mindfulness, a lot of this is going to get integrated today in our discussion with Bill. So I am delighted to introduce my friend, William Gladstone. He is the author of the international best-selling novel, The Twelve. Uh, Gladstone attended Yale College, and he earned a graduate degree in cultural anthropology from Harvard University, so that makes him a brother in arms. As you know, I am a big, big fan of anthropology. Uh, Bill is actually considered an international expert on indigenous cultures and the meaning of 12-21-2012. Bill was the researcher for Rod Sterling's television documentary, In Search of Ancient Mysteries, as you said, and he is, in fact, um, 
you know, not only a highly acclaimed producer of Tapping the Source, but Bill loves to dabble in movies, and he'll talk to us a little bit more um, in detail today about some of the things that I'm sure he's up to in this area. You know, as a literary agent and a founder of Waterside Productions, uh, Bill has worked with some of the most respected and influential authors of our time. And you, you named a couple of them, um, really, at the top of the show. Let me also add to that uh, Tom Hartman, Gene Houston, Barbara DeAngelis. And uh, he is certainly a pioneer in the publishing industry. That's why I'm working with him. He's contributed to the creation of the first print-on-demand book publishing company, as well as the first e-book company. And if I'm not mistaken, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, you were e-book publisher of the year. And that is just an amazing feat because it's such a young industry. Um, throughout his career, Bill has worked with prominent visionaries, including Tom Anderson, founder of MySpace, Peter Norton, founder of Norton Computing, and Linus um, Torvald, creator of the Linux operating system. So we're, we're really in for a treat today. You know, Bill's books include The Power of Twelve, which we're going to talk about today, The Twelve, which was uh, obviously the book that preceded The Power of Twelve, Tapping the Source, and The Golden Motorcycle Gang. Uh, Bill is a trustee of the International Club of Budapest. He served on the boards of public and private companies. Uh, he recently spoke um, uh, at many, many conferences, but he was the co-organizer of the Conference on World Cultures in China, where his topic was civilization. He's an avid golfer and tennis player. He resides in Southern California, and you can reach him through his website at www12, the number 12, thebook.com, or www.williamgladstone.org. So, Bill, you know, the date's passed, okay? The world did not end. Well, that's, that remains to be seen. <laughs> for but, some people it did. But, well, but more seriously, I, the, 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 the whole idea of 12-21-12 was never about the end of the physical earth. It was the end of a 26,000-year energetic cycle. Now, we can debate, you know, how do you know it's the end of a 26,000-year cycle? Nothing really happened. And, you know, that's valid you know, from many perspectives. But from the perspective of not just the Mayan, but many indigenous cultures, a 26,000-year cycle has ended and a new cycle has begun. When people say, well, but I didn't see anything, I liken it to let's pretend 26,000 years is one day. The second before the sun sets, unless you're staring exactly at the sun, does not look appreciably different than the second after the sun sets. And it's the same with this 26,000-year cycle. We've been moving into this energetic change for at least the last 20 years. And to some extent, things are continuing just as they were for the last decade or so. But if people out there are not aware that things are radically different than they were for those who are old enough to remember 40, 50 years ago, you know, look around you because things have changed a great deal and they're accelerating the, the, the speed of change. And a lot of this change, according to the Mayans, is the shift from what is primarily a masculine-dominated cycle to a feminine-dominated cycle. And we're already seeing this in some of the work you're doing with fearless leaders, for example, incorporating emotional intelligence into leadership, incorporating the well-being of the entire community and not just the shareholders when you're running a corporation. These are signs of a 
switch in energy. And we can get into more detail, but in terms of leadership, which is the focus of your show, um, and I know we're going to speak a lot about it, the direct link between The Power of 12 and your show is that in The Power of 12, I explore in a fun way what is the difference between the old paradigm, which in the novel The Power of Twelve is represented by the Illuminati, and the new energy, which in the novel is represented by Gail Newhouse, who is the proponent for full feminine power now. And we're actually seeing this play out in real life. I have the amazing experience of writing novels and then seeing real life duplicate the novel. I, for the first time, I was not familiar with the uh, young Pakistani woman, Malala. I just saw a 60 Minutes uh, show about her. And she actually represents very much the character of Gail Newhouse that I put into The Power of Twelve. For those of listening who don't know about Malala, she's the young girl who wanted to go to school, and the Taliban shot her, and despite she should have died, she didn't, and she's become a world spokesperson for the right of women to speak. And she embodies very much this new feminine energy and this new form of fearless leaders that Kathy's going to be writing about in her books. So, nope. so- yeah, yeah. So, Bill, this is this is fascinating, and and, and you know, Kathy's got a, uh, a long history with you, tell, which I don't. But tell me a little bit about how you kind of came across this, because it sounds like you know this is your second book. You know, well, I, I was always fascinated by mathematics, and as a young boy, I you know had a mathematical gift, and I was doing numbers, and I came across the Mayan calendar, and I was absolutely amazed because compared to the Gregorian calendar, which is our calendar, the Mayan calendar was much more precise, much more attuned to the movements of not only the Earth and the Moon and the stars, our Sun, but to our entire Milky Way. So I became fascinated by it, and I started to pay more attention. When I was at Harvard and I studied anthropology, I went down to Chiapas and spent some time with the descendants of the Mayan. You could call them Mayans today, but it's, you know, it's, it's really pretty far removed. But they still do carry on, mostly through oral tradition, many of the beliefs around the Mayan calendar. My actual conclusion is that the Mayan calendar was not created by the Mayans, but by people even older than the Mayans, and that the Mayans, to some extent, were the popularizers of this calendar. But it's only in the last couple of decades that we've discovered that the procession, which is the wobble and the rotation of our planet, actually takes 26,000 years to complete a full cycle. How people 1,000 or 2,000 or maybe even 3,000 years ago could have created a calendar that took that into account... I mean, you could say it's just coincidence, but that kind of coincidence defies the mathematical probabilities, and it's more logical to actually look for another explanation. And I've got a few theories of my own how this could have happened. But Well, Bill, what... I would love you to hold on to that for mm-hmm. one second. We're going to take a quick break, so don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News. Come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. 
seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. We're talking with William Gladstone. His new book, The Power of Twelve, we're highlighting here. He's the literary agent and founder of Waterside Productions. And, Bill, before we went to the break, you were just talking about, you know, the Mayan calendar and, um, you know, how it, it was developed so long ago. So kind of tell us kind of whether you, whether you buy this or not. Why is this so important for well, us? Well, what's important, and I'm not expecting everyone to, you know, believe that the Mayan calendar is in fact accurate and, is, and in fact correlates with all these planetary changes. Many people do believe it. Actually, the more science is studying, the more accurate it seems the Mayan calendar is. But the point is, whether it's accurate or not scientifically, we do need to act as if we're in a new 26,000-year cycle, because we've reached the limits of what I would call the masculine-dominated leadership model has created. And don't get me wrong, I love my golf, I love tennis, I love football, I'm a, I'm a regular guy. And there's great things that our culture has created. We, you know, our technology, our, our cities, just, you know, incredible uh, achievement. But the reality is we have to switch. We can't just keep going for more. We have to start looking not just at ourselves and our families and our individual communities, but at the whole world as one connected living being. And this is really the attitude that the indigenous cultures have always preserved. Now, when Western culture met indigenous cultures, we pretty much obliterated them because we were more in tune with the technology and we had the ability and we were, we were building things. Well, at the rate of growth, of all our world economies right now, in another 100 years, we will have no resources whatsoever on this planet. I mean, you can worry about global warming and all those other issues are real as well, but just from a a, a logical point of view, if everyone in China ends up with their own car and their own house, we don't have the resources for that. We have to change what our definition of success is. And this new energy that the indigenous cultures have prophesized as being the dominant energy is a reconnection with nature, a reconnection with the unique ability of each human being on this planet to connect with the entire 
consciousness of our planet and to actually raise the level of consciousness on the entire planet. And I actually believe this is happening. You see little specks of it. And of course, you're going to see a lot of atavism. You, you know, we still have all these fundamentalist groups which are going in the wrong direction. We either go forward in the future or we will exterminate ourselves. The planet itself will survive no matter what we do for many hundreds of millions, if not billions of years. But as a human species with quality of life, we will not maintain the quality of life that we currently enjoy without a shift, not just in our leadership, but in our entire populace. And every individual, to some extent, must become a leader if our planet is to survive and flourish in a way that really would be acceptable to our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and future generations. So that's really the, the dilemma that I posit in my novel, The Power of Twelve. Which direction are we going to go? Are we going to go the old paradigm of it's all about accumulation, it's all about winning, it's all about domination of nature, domination of, of different human groups, or is there an alternative? And I very much believe, and I know Kathy does in the work that she does, that there is an alternative, and you know, I think that you, know, you can call it fearless leaders, um, because fearless leaders are not in it just for themselves. They're in it for the greater good of the entire world. So let me ask you something, Bill. I know this sounds kind of crazy, but why were so many people like, so geared up for this 12, 21, 12, and, and so ready to buy into that. You, the, the, the Hollywood hype is the real reason. I mean, they made that movie, 2012, The End of the World, and we've had Nostradamus, and we've had all these other prophets throughout history. I mean, you can even go back to the Bible. And the idea of an apocalypse, the idea of horrific physical suffering and earth changes has been around for centuries, and it's symbolic in many even of the indigenous cultures. Almost every indigenous culture has a myth that is similar to our Noah Ark's myth of the great flood, the great change, and it's a way of getting people's attention. From a psychological point of view, I actually think that the fascination with the end of our physical world has something to do with people feeling disenfranchised. If the world's going to end, there's no difference between me, say, a clerk at 7-Eleven and Bill Gates. He's going to get his just at the same time I'm going to get mine, and I don't have to feel inferior. So, but that's just my theory. I'm, I'm not you know, really a psychologist, but I do think that the fascination with you know, the destruction of the earth is serving some psychological purpose, because it's certainly not logical. There's no logical... Uh, we know that the earth is going to end someday, but it's not going to end... You know, even that, you know, they talk about the chances. I think it's one in a billion a meteor could hit. And I mean, there could be mass destruction, we, you know, and we're witnessing it. I mean, the, the climate change and the Sandies and the tsunamis and, you know, what just happened in the Philippines. So there's going to continue to be, and with 7 billion people, I mean, you can lose 100 million people in one catastrophic event, and it's certainly catastrophic, but it's not the end of the world. But we know that each and every one of us, at least as a physical human being, is going to die, and there's some comfort of dying with everyone else at the same time. That's my theory on it, because it's not logical. Got it. Okay. So, well. <laughs> so, so, Bill, I'll give it just, just a quick comment. I, I, I agree. I think it, it's this unifying factor that, you know, Kathy and I, we've had a, a series of interviews and, and um, great people talking about uh, mindfulness, from Daniel Goleman mm -hmm. to Mirabai Bush. But I think what you're saying, on some level, it's that vulnerability that we all know is there, 
that we don't want to think about it. And but there's a positive aspect that it kind of gets us into, okay, if if, if the world's going to end, just that different perspective. Should I keep doing what I'm doing, or should mm-hmm. I be doing something different? Could I could I be refocusing? So I think that sense of perspective, you know, in, in a way, kind of brings us back into who we are today, what's important, all those things that can get lost in what you're kind of calling the masculine kind of driven world. Absolutely. I, uh... Point very well taken. I mean, we are so focused on just sort of fulfilling the paradigm that we're already in. Right. We're, we're, we're put in school, you know, some kids get to get you know, put in school at the age of two. You know, they, they've got to get that fast track so they're going to get into Harvard and Yale or whatever their parents are hoping for them. And this over-focus on somehow that if you achieve, 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 it's going to take care of everything and you're going to have a happy life. Well, that's not working so well. Part of it is we've created this in, in consumer society where we're encouraged. I mean, I, I'm thinking of it because we've just, you know, today is Black Monday or, or this show is being taped on Black Monday. Um, you know, we just had Black Friday. Or, um, you know, shop, 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 shop till you drop. Um, you know, buy, buy, buy. If you have enough material goods, you're going to have a happy life. Well, studies have shown, including our own film Tapping the Source, that your material possessions, though not unimportant are not the primary uh, factor in determining whether someone's happy or not. What we actually learned in interviewing over 130 individuals of, of high levels of success was that feeling gratitude and finding a way to be of service to others were the two most important qualities in determining whether someone was happy or not. So we do have to switch, and we are switching. I mean, I see it in the kinds of books that I'm getting, uh, not just from the popular authors, but the people that are, you know, new and the new generation. And there is this sense that, you know, miracles are possible. And, you know, when you look at something like the fall of the Berlin Wall, that, you know, from the outside looked like a miracle. But it was really just many individuals keeping focused and keeping faith in wanting a positive change. And that is really the key to the future for all of us. We do not have to just accept business as usual. We don't have to you know, say, well, you know, this is the way my father and my grandfather did it. I have to do it the same way. No, things are radically different, and all of our institutions are suffering, you know, whether it's our politicians, our government, what chaos we see there, um, you know, our educational institutions, our medical institutions, but it does not mean that we can't find a better way. And sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. So I, I remain an optimist. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think Relly and I are, are definitely big fans of, you know, optimism and certainly the science of happiness. But I want to ask a, a little bit of a deeper question. You know, um, if you look at Michael Drew's work in Pendulum <laughs> and how marketing um, is taking on the face of this, this shift of what is it, 30-year cycles from the me to the we, mm-hmm. what I find interesting is if you follow that methodology, we are, in fact, going into a we cycle. We've been in a we cycle for some, well, we've been in a we cycle. We're going to stay in this we cycle for at least another 25 years. And this is a good thing, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, 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 I believe you. And so I, I feel it. I mean, I know it. So let me ask you something. As somebody who's been studying this uh, from a, a cultural anthropological view, and mo- those of us who've been classically trained as ethnographers, you know, we're supposed mm-hmm. to spend judgment, we're supposed to be participant observers. So from a participant observer background, what do you see as the biggest problem that people will have 
in this shift to a more feminine power? What is it? What is this big thing that people are afraid to give up? Well, they're afraid to give up their security. I mean, there, there was a funny commercial about change. Uh, I think it was for some chocolate chip cookies, and you had somebody sitting there, and, um, you know, I want to keep my old cookies, and then they got the new cookies, and it was, oh, I like the new, I like the new. But the point was, even when it's something positive, people resist change. And I'd say the biggest threat to the world right now really is fundamentalism. And I'm not just talking about Muslim fundamentalism. It's all fundamentalism, our, our own evangelical fundamentalism, Hindu fundamentalists, Jewish fundamentalists, because fundamentalists, by definition, are looking to the past. And it's tricky. I mean, you can't condemn someone for honoring the past, honoring traditions. But at the same time that you honor the past and honor traditions, you have to be present. This is why I like Eckhart's book so much. Things change. Uh, I have another client, Dr. Gary Schwartz, who talks about God as the great organizing designer. And as an organizing designer, God, him or, him or herself, evolves with the changes in his creation, his or her creation. And we have to be willing to look at the present in terms of the future and not just the past. And I think that a lot of people fall into this trap of being so linked to the past that they just can't see giving it up even when it no longer serves the present or the future. So, and so, Bill, that's kind of that gravitational pull and trying to, you know, and it's almost saying, you know, how do we repel that and at least look towards the future? But for some of our, our listeners, maybe you can tell us, um, you know, what would you say is the difference between masculine and feminine power? We're talking about it, but maybe... Sure. I mean, it, it's really pretty simple. It has nothing to do with your sexual orientation. Let's get that out of the way. Okay. But masculine energy is more aggressive. It's more laser-focused. It's goal-oriented. Feminine energy, at least as I've been indoctrinated, if you will, through uh, my contact with indigenous cultures, is much more about the connection with nature. It's much more about multitasking. It's more about sharing, caring, and nurturing. And it's not about, I mean, oh, it, we have very few examples, and we call them, you know, courageous heroes, where you, where you have a man, it's usually in the context of war, sacrificing his life for others. But women just naturally are put into position when they're giving birth where they're actually risking their lives for the benefit of another soul. And this is a totally different orientation. One of my pet peeves when we're talking about male and female energy is really the Sheryl Sandberg book, Lean In, because Sheryl, though she's very accomplished, really hasn't a clue what true feminine energy is. All she's talking about is, well, we see how men have been successful. Let's copy what men do and do it even better, and let's, you know, get together as women to, you know, combat the negative influences. And, and there was a time for that. Most of it was 30, 40 years ago. And, you know, there's still some inequalities, and, you know, that's fine to, to fight for greater equality between men and women in the workplace. But what I'd really like to see is someone like Cheryl talking about how do we create corporations which actually embody feminine values within the corporation itself, rather than perpetuating what I would call the male paradigm of domination as the, the way of succeeding. I have another client, Rianne Eisler, who wrote a book called The Chalice and the Blade. And Rianne talks about the partnership model, which is the feminine model, in opposition to the dominator model, which is the male model. And so this is not 
an entirely new idea. I believe the Chalice and the Blade was published in 1982. So the, the concept of male versus female energy, both in the workplace and in you know, society throughout, as alternative models, has been around for quite some time. Well, you know what, Bill? We're going to come back and talk more about that. We're going to go to a quick break, so don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. You know, if you want to get in touch with some of the work that Kathy and I do, it's www.excelinstitute.com. We're talking with Bill Gladstone, The Power of 12. And so, Bill, we were talking just before the break about kind of the good definition between the masculine and feminine power, you know, partnership versus uh, dominance, feminine more sharing, caring, nurturing. How does that relate? to some of our listeners in the business world, the corporation, and maybe can I give us some example? Well, we're in a transition period, so you're, you see a lot of business leaders who actually are embodying both traditional male values and what I would call the more feminine values. And one of the most interesting business leaders of the moment who incorporates both is Jeff Bezos. Jeff was on 60 Minutes recently showing us how in the near future, possibly as early as 2015 or 2016, he's actually developed drones which are going to deliver through GPS products within 30 minutes to anyone living within 10 miles of one of his distribution centers. And Jeff is very goal-driven. He embodies a lot of traditional masculine values. But at the same time, he embodies many feminine values, including his view that the customer is more important than the company. 
And that may, may you know, sound like it's just lip service, but if you actually analyze the way Amazon has developed, it's always been about creating a customer experience and the loyalty of his customers and the experience of being cared for by Amazon, and that is the real secret of his success. And he also has a feminine quality in that he looks at the long term. And this is very different than the majority of Wall Street uh, companies and analysts. He does not really care about his short-term profitability, and he will take on projects where he will actually sell products at cost or close to cost and lose money for years in order to create market dominance in a specific area. And this is actually more of a feminine way of looking at things, looking at the long term and looking at the community that he's serving rather than just short-term profitability. You know, Bill, what's so fascinating about that, and, and given Kathy, what you're saying is the me versus the we, you know, the we is really the customer, the focus, and he doesn't want to take any kind of credibility hit in raising prices. They ask him some questions like that, you know, well, you know why don't you raise some of your prices? He's like, yeah. I don't want to lose customers. That's more important. And like you're saying, Bill, then he's yeah, got it's the opposite of the gouger. I mean, he is never going to gouge you. And you know, of course, you can live in fear. Well, what happens when Jeff leaves? <laughs> They've got a monopoly in 50 different markets, and somebody could come in and just, you know, wreak havoc. But you know, let's hope that doesn't happen. But in the meantime, it is a difference. I mean, there's a big difference between Standard Oil that Rockefeller built and, you know, Amazon. And I hope it's a positive difference. And it does illustrate, you know, one of these points. Now, there's a long way to go, and there's a lot of ruthless activity going on at Amazon in terms of the way they deal with book publishers, the way they deal with some of their competitors. So, you know, we're not in, in, in this totally caring, sharing what's best for everyone. It's still what's best for Amazon. So, but it's a good example of a shift that is happening. And Amazon is a very different company than it would have been had it been created 50 years ago instead of just 20 years ago. Well, you know, I just want to offer a different um, perspective on this male-female energy since we're talking about this the shift that's occurring. And I, I do believe it is occurring. I feel it. You know, I, I would say that um, when I was a, a former partner at Accenture, uh, no, I am a former partner at Accenture. When I was at Accenture, we used to actually do a lot of research on how things would be perceived by the market. For example, uh, selling teams. Uh, when we looked at male-male teams, too strong. Female-female teams, too soft. The best teams were integrated teams, especially where you had a male and a female lead who could go in and create chemistry and do what they needed to do with various parts of the organization, and then everybody would win. And I, I, I'm kind of curious, Bill, in the context of you're the power of 12, how would that mental model fit into your story? Well, it's, it's very much part of the story. We need male energy. It's not about eradicating right, male energy right. because it's all about balance. And I think you're absolutely right. The companies that are going to succeed are the balanced companies. That's why Amazon's succeeding. Tom's Shoes is another good example. They give a free pair of shoes to needy children for every pair they sell. There's balance there. It's much more of this we orientation. In my novel, The Power of Twelve, we have feminine energy dominating the new paradigm, but I won't give away the end of the novel, but without some strong men, it's not going to happen. So, you know, I, I'm very much aware and very, uh, you know, appreciative of strong male energy. I think that we need to be even stronger as men. There's many ways of being strong, however, and it's not just, you know, sort of physical brute strength. 
that the world needs from men. We do need sensitive men. We need men who are aware of why their mandate needs to be more than just the immediate short-term profitability of their company or, you know, their immediate short-term focus on winning. They, they need to have a broader view. At the same time, there are going to be moments where it's business as usual. We're, we're now, you know, you're in a situation and you may be in a survival mode from the point of view of business, and you better beat out your competitor or you're going to go down. So it's not a matter of giving up your ability to be competitive, your ability to set goals and, and achieve, but it's a matter of knowing when. Not, it's sort of like a car having more than just a fifth gear. You, know, you need to know when to shift into what I would call a more feminine mode rather than just always hard charging. So, so Bill, here's a kind of a question for you. So, especially around that when, and I know you're talking about kind of balancing the male and the female, um, how, how would someone, let's say, you know, who's in a leadership team, how would they know when the when is and how would they go about it? You know, well, you, you can't provide a, a sort of a priori answer. I mean, the whole thing about running a business or just being a good human being is every moment is slightly different. You will see patterns, yeah. and, you know, what you need to look at is what has worked in a similar type of situation. So from a business point of view, I wouldn't, you know, want to be offering advice outside of my own particular field of book publishing. I mean, in book publishing, I can point to many examples of where being soft created greater profitability. Uh, just a personal uh, and, and very telling uh, moment was, it was about 20 years ago, but we had created the Four Dummies book series. Oh. And at the time we created that series, it was standard for all books to be sold at 50% or less discount. Well, then the big box stores came along, Costco and the others, and we started to see that over 50% of all books were being sold at what used to be called high discounts. Now, in the contracts that I had negotiated for my clients, we had agreed when we negotiated that high discount books would receive a royalty rate that would be 50% of the normal royalty rate. Well, we had not anticipated this change in standard business practices. So I went back to the publisher at the time, it was IDG Books, and said, this is inequitable, it isn't fair, it isn't what we bargained for. And by contract, they didn't have to make any shift at all. But because they valued the long-term relationship with our authors, we at the time represented over 90% of the four dummies authors, they agreed voluntarily to come up with a formula where whenever they went over their standard 50% discount, the extra discount was shared 50% by the author and 50% by the publisher, which was much fairer and really meant a difference to my clients of 20 to $30 million. I think that's just one example of where not sort of leveraging your advantage, in this case it was a legal advantage, uh, you know, was a more feminine, if you will, example of, hey, let's do what's best for the long term for everyone. And it worked out just fine for IDG. They ended up selling the company for close to $100 million to Wiley a few years later. And, of course, it worked out well for my office. Not, not, a, bad, uh, not, not a bad number, I would say. <laughs> Well, you know, I think I think it's very um, it's very appropriate that we're talking about these kinds of shifts because one of the things that certainly Relly and I get asked a lot about in the emotional intelligence realm is, um, you know, are there uh, are there big sex differences in emotional intelligence? Uh, are men better at at some of these things than women? Um, and I think that when we look at all of this stuff taken together in business. 
it's context. And, I, you know, I say this all the time because I also get the question um, about special forces operations when I talk about fearless leaders. You know, why are there not more women in this cadre of, of, um, of quiet professionals? And, and the, the truth is, and, and Bill, I'd love your perspective mm-hmm. on this, and Relly yours as well, everybody has a role to play based on their mindfulness, their consciousness, their, uh, their ability to be resilient. And I think as, as we're evolving in our own human condition, we're starting to spread our wings a little around what all these things mean, mindfulness and consciousness. And it's, it's, we talk a lot uh, about it more than we ever did before. And some of it, I think, is, is female energy, but I think a lot of it is also, also the male consciousness um, evolving. And I think that's, uh, that's a very important component, whether it's about emotional intelligence or any other subject. So I'd like both of you to kind of give some perspective. Well, let me, let me address it first. I mean, when I talk about the rise of feminine energy, it's not the rise of females. <laughs> it's the rise of feminine energy in both males and females. And you're absolutely right. I mean, ideally, we would just be talking about the, the evolution of consciousness itself. Both men and women are becoming more mindful, becoming more aware of how their actions are interconnected with the actions of everyone else on this planet, and that there is a very real sense in which we're all one consciousness. And so that to me, is the primary focus. And within that, of course, it's about balance. When you're, you're talking about special ops, you know, if you're on the tail of, you know, bin Laden, the only thing I want my special op man to do is to focus and shoot and kill and get out of there. I mean, that, it's not a time to necessarily be mindful of anything else. And, you know, there's a, there's a time whether you're a male or a female leader, where you need to act swiftly, you need to act aggressively, you need to punish injustice, which you, you, you know, can be in many different forms, and to take immediate action and not be wishy-washy. That's too often what people think of as feminine energy. Oh, they're soft and they're forgiving. That's not feminine energy. That's just weakness, and we're not talking about weak at all. For example, this Malala is not a weak woman. She, no, not at all. Very you know, she is, she is true definition of a fearless leader, and yet she is saying, with her culture and her background, look, I don't, she, you know, she comes from Pakistan, and, you know, her model is more nonviolence and, you know, Gandhi, and, you know, she doesn't want to use arms against the Taliban, and, you know, she just wants to talk to people. Well, you know, I don't, you know, good luck with that, I, you know, but the point is, she is representing a very different approach towards change, and we need that approach. It doesn't mean we need to give up, you know, protecting ourselves from crazy lunatics out there that want to blow us up. So it's that balance that is, is so important. And, I, and I'll just chime in, Bill. I think that word balance is so important in some of the work that Kathy and I do, you know, around <clears throat> these emotional intelligence competencies, some of the innovative work with multi-health systems and the EQI 2.0. It really is about balancing these competencies. You know, when, do, when are you assertive? When are you independent? When are you working on relationships? When are you demonstrating empathy? And so it's kind of knowing situation-specific, which ones do you dial up, and sometimes you may need to dial it down. And then the other aspect, you know, is all about, I think it goes back, Kathy, to decision-making that, you know, I think the masculine is all about solving the problem, getting it done, and we know from the brain neuroscience that you can either be into a kind of analysis, you know, solving the problems, or 
around empathy, which I think would fit into what we're saying around the feminine side, it's either it's either or. It's hard to do both. And so that balance aspect is how can we bring in the impact on the customer, the impact on our people, the impact on this change is going to be about to just bring that into the conversation. It's not that it's not there, but it may be that's something that can, needs to be dialed up more. Absolutely agree with you. I mean, the whole idea of being empathetic is new for many men. Yes. I mean, I'm the first guy when, you know, my daughter or anyone in my family tells me about a problem. Oh, here's how we solve it. They don't want to know how to solve it. They want to be heard, and they want to solve it, right. or they just want, you know, me to know that they had to deal with it, and it can't be solved, which unfortunately is true of many problems. And it's a very different orientation, and I'm, you know, getting a little better at listening. I, I guess this is what you call active listening. But you're absolutely right. It, it, it's sometimes necessary to solve a problem. Sometimes it's just necessary to hear about the problem. Right. Well, let me just mention this and get your take, Kathy. I think one of the things that Kathy and I say all the time, that's, that's the masculine way, the manager default is the find fault. And so you kind of walk in, and all you're doing is looking for what's wrong. Anything wrong here? Oh, let me point it out, yeah. which is, you know, it's efficient, and you could see why you'd want to do that, but it really, you know, leaves people feeling devastated. You win the, you win the is, battle and lose the war, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but remember, guys, we have a very ancient brain. It's a very old organ. It is hardwired for hard times. It is a survival brain. And so we walk into any situation and look for where the problems may arise. One, because it could be something that becomes a survival issue. Number yeah. two, it's, it's something that we do well. High achievers, ha, 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 who's on the phone, who's listening, <laughs> you know, um, high achievers tend to look for problems to solve. And so it's not an aberrant behavior, but what Relly's bringing up, which I think, you know, Bill, you would obviously resonate with, given where you are and what this book is about, is it's about understanding that good leadership is an unnatural act. It really is. Whether you're male or female, or whether you're using feminine or masculine qualities, it's an unnatural act. Well, I would call it more a highly evolved act. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because, it, 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 because we are evolving as human beings. I do not think, you know, maybe 99% of the brain is the same today as it was 20,000, 30,000 years ago, but I would like to think that we are actually evolving because if we only think about survival, we're not going to survive because the definition of survival is no longer surviving in the moment. It's surviving over an extended period of time. Exactly, and that's where the whole idea of mindfulness right, right. and evolved consciousness becomes so important because if we do exactly what you said, Bill, if, if we look at the brain and we say, okay, this is a very archaic organ, but it has a mind. The mind is the software that plugs into this computer called the brain. If we can add new software, right, evolve, have thought, we can actually make a huge difference in how quickly we get to where we need to go, which is that evolution. So we're going to come right back. Don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. 
seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. We're talking to Bill Gladstone. His website is www.williamgladstone.org. We're talking about his new book, The Power of Twelve, that you can get a hold of that. And so, Bill, we were mentioning during the break, you know, it's interesting that you wrote a novel and, you know, versus um, something that would be more kind of more factual. Say a little bit about kind of your thinking about that. And, you know, you're, you've been in the book industry forever. So you're, and, you're such and an I've expert. written nonfiction books, and I write nonfiction as well as fiction. But I do find that if you're going to have a major impact, fiction is really the way to go because you get people's attention with a story and you keep their attention with a story. They remember characters more than they necessarily remember themes. But through the characters, they internalize the themes. And one of the things that I did that I, I really had a ball doing was I created this character of Arnold Wheeler Dealer, the grand light and keeper of the code of the Illuminati. And he really symbolizes, in some ways, all that went wrong with those who put themselves in a position of power thinking that they knew best for the entire world. And there's many real-life examples of people like this. I also had some fun, and I, I went to Yale with uh, George Bush, and, uh, you know, Skull and Bones and all that good stuff is in there. And so there's, there's a, enough sort of clues about reality in the book so that those who want to see the reality behind the story can. But for those who just want to be entertained and enjoy a good story, they can just read it. It's very quick, easy read. It's a lot of fun to read. And you can go as deep or as light as you want. If you just want to read the story and, and enjoy the storyline, like a Hunger Games or something like that, you can. But if you want to get into the issues and realize that, hey, Maybe this author is really talking about something that's real. You can do that, but you're not being preached to. I'm not telling you this is the way it is. I have my characters tell you what's happening. And I get into a lot of philosophical ideas. I have had certain quantum physicists tell me that there's a dream sequence in which I sort of fantasize about what is the creation and end of our universe likely to be. And from the point of view of quantum physics, I've been told that I may have gotten it right. So there's a lot of intriguing little points like that. And there is a little science fiction in there. But there's also, you know, reference to the Akashic Records and other ideas that are actually becoming mainstream today. So for me, writing it as a novel allowed me to explore some of these areas that some people might feel are too fringe to put into a 
traditional nonfiction book, and also just to have fun writing the book and create a fun experience for the people reading it. Well, I know that when people are engaged in a story and they can relate to a story, whether through personal experience or what they hear in the news or they see threads of reality, it, it is very powerful. And I, I think that for people to understand a lot more about themselves, sometimes you have to put it in a parable because otherwise it's too painful for people to recognize. So thank you for that, Bill. That's fantastic. Well, I, I really did enjoy writing the book, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. I, mean, I know a lot of people, you know, are focused on the Illuminati and do they really exist. I'm not going to answer that question in this interview, but if you read the book, whether the Illuminati exists or not, what I describe as the role of the most powerful and wealthiest people on this planet is pretty accurate, and we do need some, some switching around in the distribution of wealth right now. 111 Russian individuals control 35% of the wealth of all of Russia, and Russia is a pretty wealthy area. Um, in the United States, it's not quite that but if you actually boil it down, I think there was a recent study, uh, 500 of the, the, the 500 top billionaires on our planet control more resources than the bottom 20% of our planet. So I get into some of these issues about, you know, capitalism is great, I'm, I'm a capitalist, but things I don't think were ever anticipated to, to move as quickly as they can where, where, you know, a very small number of people can literally have such a large percentage of the power and wealth of our planet under their control. And those are issues that, you know, we can get into in a future show. But, you know, The Power of Twelve really looks at those kinds of issues. It looks at, you know, why the Mayan calendar is important and why the world did not end on 1221. Well, we're glad it didn't. <laughs> Let me yes. say that, first of all. And it is always a pleasure to have a chat with you. You are one of the most energizing, you know, uplifting people I know, and I'm so blessed to know you. Thanks for being with us today, Bill. We're very excited for everybody to learn more about the Power of Twelve. Well, it's been a pleasure to be on your show, Kathy. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, it was great, and hopefully we'll have some more connection down the line. So this is Leadership Development News, uh, signing off now. Thank you for tuning in to tune up your performance for you and for the people that you lead. And make sure you tune in again next week to Leadership Development News. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.